This episode of the Hope Podcast is brought to us by the Spotlight Project. Uh, the Spotlight Project is a fantastic organization run by fantastic people with the mission of raising employment for individuals with intellectual or developmental disabilities. They create and sell beautiful jewelry, and each individual they employ uh, has an intellectual or developmental disability and a unique story to tell. You can visit them at the Spotlight Project co.com again the spotlightprojectco.com use the coupon code hope h o p e again use the coupon code hope for 15% off your order hope comes from hearing other people's experiences and with that we'll turn it over to Miguel McSongway to tell his story welcome to uh, to Miguel to uh, to the hope podcast uh, blessed to be joined we're blessed to be joined by him today I uh, got connected with with Miguel this week through my uh, my cousin Maggie Westerman, who's who's interning for me uh, for the company. And uh, Miguel's very invested in what with the global movement of Black Lives Matter and uh, and you know police reform. Um, so, yeah, just if you if you want to walk through kind of the period right after you dropped out of school and then. So we moved around a lot because I was in Kenya for a bit. And my dad was with the UN, but um, when we finally came back to Long Island, um, and I was. After my junior year, something happened with school. They thought I was cheating. I wasn't cheating, um, but I left, and so I did this. I was doing this homeschool system, and I didn't finish the senior year. But the film school that I was going to, like the college, mm-hmm. they let me get in without a high school diploma. So I was just like, all right, my school doesn't matter. And then I was in that, and I uh, went for the producing program, and then I met a lot of the directors, and they were doing their final pro- project, like of the year. And they were like, Miguel, I want you to produce my thing, I want you to produce my thing. And our, uh, the head of our department, like of the producing department, said we don't usually let students take on projects like of the directors. We let them take one, maybe, if they're an exceptional producer, right? So I had four people asking me, hmm. and I was managing it, and I was trying to go to class. I was passing out a class, and they are like, and he finally got to the point where I was like sitting in front of the dean, and the dean was like, why are you passing out? And I was like, well, I'm not doing all these other things. And they're like, if you don't stop, we're going to have to remove you from the program. And I was like, all right, so just so I'm clear, you guys are going to kick me out for doing, for producing projects in the producing program. And they're like, yes. <laughs> so, I was like, so I was like, all right, cool, I'm just going to leave. Right. And so I left. I finished those shorts. Um, some of them went to festivals. Some of them didn't. We're finishing up with shorts. It is the process. And then I actually, and then out of my entire class, I'm the only person who's working in the industry right now. But the point is that, um, throughout that time, my mom never helped me to any standards. She was just like, she required me to hold myself to a certain standard, mm-hmm. right? So it was like, when I went to, when I was going to um, film school, um, and I was like, and I was telling her, because it wasn't just like I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm going to drop out. It was like, I talked to her a bunch and she's like, listen, I'm going to let you drop out because you say you have other avenues and you have a plan for what you're gonna do afterwards. If you do not, within a year, figure out, like, like start making actual, any level of income from this, then I can't support this, and you're gonna go back to college, you're gonna go back to four-year college. I was like, all right, I mean, that would suck, because I was, I'd be like 20 years old, starting school with 18 year old, and it would suck, but I would like, I agreed to it full right then and there, until one morning I woke up and was like, all right, it's up to me, like, I have to do this, I have to make sure that, and it's holding yourself accountable for, it's not, the kind of pressure of like, oh, what's that guy doing? Or, oh, what's this dude doing? No, it's the, what did you do yesterday? What are you going to do tomorrow? What 
what are you doing today that's going to make yourself better but that's all it is that's all it is like and it's the kind of realization um that most people have like in their last year of college or their second last year of college when they start getting into their like their actual major and it's like what am i going to do now you know like what like the real world comes after this you know like especially after being what i preach a lot of people is i think everyone should take a year off between high school and college because if you're going from like all the way from middle school like from middle school till college are 12 straight years where everyone's like you don't really have to make any actual choices right you just have to come and show up and pass right like the biggest choice you have to make is between studying and like going out or whatever but like realistically like life choice wise you don't have to make any real serious choices between for 12 years of your life then all of a sudden they're like pay taxes um find rent like um feed yourself every day i think one of the craziest things was feeding myself every day it was like waking up and being like shit i gotta eat again <laughs> i gotta eat tonight <laughs> i gotta eat after i cook myself breakfast every morning i ask myself what am i gonna eat for dinner yeah like and it's like it's weird because it's like it never stops and it's one of those things that no one tells i mean obviously you know you know you gotta eat and like when you're in high school or whatever you drive around with your friends and you get mcdonald's or whatever, like you hang out and like you eat right but when it's different as because it's like you have to buy the groceries so like you have to figure out what am i going to eat i'm not going to just buy food to have in the house i need to buy food i can cook so i need to know what i'm going to eat and mm-hmm. to know what i can and cannot make and it's like all those things it's like those steps of being an adult it's like you don't really figure that out or ask to figure that out until you're on your own so it's like between high school when you're old enough 18 most people should be you're old enough to be legal throughout the rest of the world you know you don't even have to go anywhere far just be in your hometown and just tell your parents hey can you guys make me pay rent like what like what would i need to contribute to do this or x y and z you know go out get a job try to try to do everything that you did before but by yourself and then realize what kind of a different world it is and then knowing that information and seeing like because on top of all that, like, the survival part, like, the bare survival part is, you know, be fucking happy. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like going through the 12 years of school just to go into a job that you hate, that you don't realize you hate until, like, 20 years down the line. And then, you know, midlife crisis and you're buying a bike or you're cheating on your spouse or whatever, like, whatever nonsense it is. It's like you take that year and you figure out that, oh, shit, I never liked architecture. I actually want to be a vet. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, I never liked business i wanted to be a, a clown and like if you really have passion you can you're a living example if you have a passion in anything you can make a career out of it so it's just like take that year you know do the research figure out what else is in the world a lot of people that i talk to are like yeah my dad could use therapy oh my mom could use therapy like a lot of people are saying that it's like that's not good like why are we just doing exactly what they're doing like if you know they had a problem if you know that the way they didn't they did it wasn't the best way then why are we just gonna go and do it you know so it was a smaller world and then and you know they they kind of grew up in their town um and i was actually reading a book uh, about relationships and, and the i don't remember statistics ever but the, the statistics on people find would finding their their spouse in or, or around their hometown in that generation are like staggering compared to ours and because um you know they it's just one small example they had much fewer choices and they kind of just live that life the way that they thought that they were supposed to as you said and we're so now generation after generation that gets passed down and we're in the same thing where they're trying to teach us how to live that same life 
uh, a lot of parents, and they're doing the best they can. Again, I, I always say they're really doing the best they can. It's not their fault. It's just what they were taught, and they think they, you know, teaching it to us is the same. But our, it's a new world. We it's, live in a new world of, of information and data. You know, so it's like I'd rather go into something to guess my level best, and one of two things are going to happen: either I'm wrong or I'm right. If I'm right, awesome, I never messed up, and then I, that stress of like trying to get it right the first time will make sure I never forget it, or I'm wrong, and then the failure will make sure that I never forget it. And that's just that's just my mentality going through things. So it's like I'm not really afraid to do anything for the first time, like get it done. It's my problem then comes if I've done it and then I get it wrong again. Because mm-hmm. then I'm like, all right, this is it was funny the first time, but like I know what I'm doing now. I should have this down. Right. So like don't like don't ever feel pressure. Yeah. To- no, that's that's great. Uh, honestly, great, great uh, life philosophy because um, it's so important to fail. Like, it's important to I, I love failing because it's. Every time you fail, um, you're just one one step closer to, to doing something that's a success, to succeeding, exactly. and um, and you need to fail every day because that's how you grow. You said it, and then and again, you said it perfectly. There's just so much more information uh, these days. The internet, social media. You know, you can see that that kid in, in China do the Rubik's cube in, yeah. in in four seconds, and you're like, why isn't my kid doing that? And your kid can see that too. Um, you know, we have all this pressure to go to to get to. A, good grades, go to a good college so you can get the job that you're going to end up hating um, and just to pay back all the debt you took out to go to college. Um, so much pressure uh, to be perfect. And uh, I love, you know, the idea of taking a year off after high school. It makes so much sense, you know, but again, these societal norms, these things we're told to do um, are just are just brainwashed into us and we believe that's what we have to do. And if we don't, we're, you know, going to be terrible human beings. Past few days, I've been I've been just listening and, and watching a lot of uh, YouTube videos on on Black leaders and uh, trying to hear their perspectives and then you know hear their life experiences. Uh, I believe it was Denzel Washington, um, and uh, he was talking about is how if you're good at something or if you're passionate about something, just do it. Do it. Serve other people. Don't worry about the money. Do it. Keep doing it. Believe in yourself that that you know you're gonna be successful doing it. And he told the story of his barber, and you know, when he grew up, and then he was paying ten dollars a haircut when he was younger in his career, not wealthy, and he kept the same barber with him his whole life. And by the time when he got famous, he was paying that barber a hundred k a haircut, and the barber was making three million a year. And eventually, he shaved his uh, his head off, his, his hair off, and so he gave the barber a severance. The barber now owns uh, three salons and two two haircutting schools, and that's you know, is making like ten million a year. That's a haircutter. Who, who loved cutting hair, was good at it, did it, did it to serve other people, didn't worry about the money, and manifested an unbelievably successful career out of doing just that, serving others. He also lucked out that he cut a black man's hair. Because <laughs> whenever I catch a good barber, I'm like, I will trouble, like, move earth, wind, and fire to get back to my barber. Uh, you know, whatever you like, whatever you're passionate about or good at, you can make a career out of and be it's, happy doing it. It's definitely important and it ties in some, I, I think more so the idea of breaking the norms ties in so much with um, what's going on right now with like the Black Lives Matter movement. But when I lived in Kenya, I, a lot of the people I grew up with over there went to British schools and they were talking to me and they're asking me, um, you know, what's going, on, what's going on in the States. So my mom, was um, my mom went to school at NYU actually? Mm-hmm. Uh, not NYU, sorry, another school in New York, but not NYU. Um, okay. And she went to a nurse, 
and when she was 21, 22, how old I am right now, she also, uh, there was a shooting of smaller man. He had, um, he shot up somewhere in the Bronx, and they marched. But they were a lot more violent back then. <laughs> right. I think they uh, killed one or two other people during their protest, but she protested too. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about it. She's like, if you told me that the very thing I'm mad and protesting about right now, 25 years, 25 years later, my son would be protesting about the same thing, I think you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Right? And But here we are. And the reason, the reason, the only reason that I think it's so important that we keep talking about this movement this time is because everyone's mad enough, you know? Like everyone, I mean, we all should have had enough a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. But the, a lot of people who talk to me are like, it's crazy how like this is the one thing. And I was like, it's, this isn't the one thing, you know? Like, it's just that this is the straw that broke the camel's back. One other thing that I love, that I absolutely love, is that um, people are protesting and walking and coming up with ideas, you know? People are coming up with like, we want legislation change. We want, here are ways to defund the police. Here are alternatives for the police. We don't, like, we're not just mad. We don't just want these guys in jail. We want all of these guys in jail. We want all, we want this whole system changed. They're trying to put the same Band-Aid over the same cut. And it's like, we don't want Band-Aids anymore. Like, we're tired of Band-Aids. We're tired of you putting up a statue or electing a new black person or whatever. We want you to get rid of the knife altogether. Like, that's what, that's really what it is. It's what it's come to. Where I stand on it, I think the idea of police is a fantastic idea. Like the idea of people who wake up every morning and choose to give up their lives for an idea that is accepted by society. Because that's what a law is. A law is an idea that is accepted by a group of people. Social contract. Exactly. And there's a group of people who want to wake up every day and give their lives to protect the written laws that we've all accepted, right? But that's not what the police are. So like that's, in my opinion, it's like, they need to be completely like fundamentally changed because if they were sticking to what they actually are, like what the police, what a policing department is supposed to be, then I'd have no problem. We would never be here. Because yeah. they would look at everyone with a blind eye and just attack the problem as it is. Attack every situation as it is. First of all, our company is definitely about diversity of ideas. And so I, I definitely want to dive more into, I, I know you're involved with police reform and have some ideas and working on some. And, uh, definitely want to dive into those. Um, wanna, I just want to talk about like beliefs kind of, and uh, I think it's important, um, you know, I don't claim to know what the answer is on most issues. Um, in my opinion, the first step is talking about it. And that's what this company is about, hearing your experiences, because we need to do something. It's, this shouldn't be an issue that um, anyone's against. There are definitely people in this country who are just racist and they should just be outcasted from society. They think that black people are, are less than them because of the color of their skin. There's a lot of people in this country who don't think that they're racist, don't believe they're racist, don't think that the things that they say or do are racist because that they have never either lived the experiences that you've lived or that I, or, or that they've, they've never lived them or they've never heard them. They've never heard them. They've never empathized with them. That's why what I, the first step I think is, is talking about it, hearing those experiences, and then we find the solution. And there's a lot of good ideas for solutions. Um, I don't know what it is, but I can promise you the solution is not what we're doing right now because people are angry and you might not be angry out there you know i'm at this point angry but maybe two years ago when some of these things happened i wasn't angry i didn't fully understand it living the experiences and, and you know we just talked about it with tanner and uh, i'll put that podcast out first so people can can hear um 
how my kind of beliefs change. But um, being so close with him, being part of situations where, where he was um, judged because of the color of his skin with police and not with police, just with regular people, these are things people don't hear about or, or, or know. And so um, someone out there may be thinking, uh, you know, defund police, that's radical, that's, that's crazy. But I'm sure Miguel can share story after story about how he was discriminated against or his friends were discriminated against because of the color of his skin that would never have happened to a white person. And that's what has brought him to this belief. He's not making it up. He's not like, uh, you know, a communist trying to, to overthrow the government. He, he believes, and I'll speak for him, he believes because of his life experience that this is the solution. When, when I get pulled over by a cop, I've been pulled over three times. Every single time I've been pulled over, I've been hopeful. I've felt hope that I'm gonna get out of this thing. There's still a good chance I'm gonna get a ticket, but I feel hope that I'm gonna get out of it. So when I moved back to Long Island, when I moved back to New York, um, I was in junior year, I was 16, and one night, um, I don't know, it was some girl this year, whatever, whatever God reason gave me to leave, I left. I left my place, I was in um, Mineola, and I drove to Long Beach. Um, and it was, I went to the beach and I just chilled out on the beach for a little bit by myself, listening to some music, sad hours. <laughs> um, and then I'm driving back and it's like 1 a.m., right? And there's me and one other guy on the road. And I'm a speed dude, I'm not gonna lie. I was going, I was probably going like 80, 80 something. Mm-hmm. And then I hear sirens in the back. And these are the thoughts that went through my brain. Oh my God, it's the cops. Oh my God. Do I have my wallet on me with my driver's license? Oh my God, this is my mom's car. She had a, it was a 2014 RAV4, I think the year's 2016. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I was 17, not 16, sorry. Um, so it was a new car, right? And then I was like, oh my God, me and my mom, she kept her maiden name. So I was like, oh my God, me and my mom have different names. So if I pull out the insurance, it's gonna pull out a different name than what's on my driver's license. And all I thought was, Oh my God, black kid in a new car. They're going to think I stole it. They're going to kill me. If this cop pulls me over, I'm going to die tonight. That's like, that's what I thought. And I was like, and I started, I slowed down and I was freaking out. I was like, please God, like if there's anything, like luckily he pulled over the other guy. Like, but I mean, I want to tell you, this is what exactly what happened was I was, I mean, dude, I was, I was chilling. I was on the highway. Like I was going fast. That happened. And it was a 30 minute car ride. Got home. There's no music for the rest of the car ride. I just sat there in silence. I got home, got in the garage, and I almost, and I cried. I cried in the driver's seat because I was like, that's insane. Like, I, I was really open to the idea that I was going to die tonight, and there was nothing I could do about it. But for the sole reason that if I, A, didn't have my wallet, and B, that my mom chose to keep her maiden name. Like, that was it. And even those things couldn't have stopped me. Like, that, like that really couldn't have mattered just because I was in the 2014 Rav 4. I was fully accepting the idea that tonight was the night that I died. And the crazier part, the part that probably shows you privilege, what, what privilege really is, is that the only people I've told that story, aside from you and everyone who's going to listen to this podcast, is the only people I've ever told that story are my black friends who lived in Long Island, because I won't even tell my black friends in Africa, because they don't really even, right. I mean, they know what it is, obviously they know what racism is, but like, the way we experience racism in Africa is so much different like it, it's not as in your face as it is here and I think I might have told my mom I probably didn't even tell my mom because what 
black mothers tell their sons is are you sure you're gonna wear that not because it looks edgy or not because you look emo but because a cop might be concerned when i tell you dude that my mom when we were back here she wouldn't let me go out if i had a sweater on at night she wouldn't let me go out i had to have a t-shirt on all the time she made sure she she made sure i was buying clothes that had bright colors on them all the time um constantly and it's to it was to the point that I was 21 years old. I was going outside to get like a drink or a soda or some shit. It was the middle of the day. And I looked at myself. I was like, I can't wear this. I changed. I was like, I can't wear this. I changed. And I asked my mom, hey, does this look okay? She's like, yeah. And like the fact that I have to do that every morning, I decide to leave the house. Because I mean, like I'm totally honest with myself. I'm a black kid with like very visible tattoos. I have earrings and I have dreads. But even if I wasn't all that, like when I was 16, I just had dreads. I didn't have tattoos. I didn't have any piercings. All I had was dreads. And I still did that same thing. It's just like it's just a practice now. And I was just rethinking about it as all this was going on. But like that's not new. Like that had been happening to me since I moved back to the states. Is I'd go through that normal practice, and my mom like asked like like before I left the house, I'd look at it like. You know, do I look okay? Like, she would never like say like, "Oh, you look acceptable." But like, I'd always check with her. Like, like I'd always pass by her. Like, hey, mom, I'm leaving. And she'd look at me, and then she'd like, "All right, okay, bye." Like, she would never say like, "You're okay." But, like, there was always that connection that I'm I'm showing you, I'm wearing something good enough to not get shot. She's like, "Okay, that looks acceptable." But you know, be safe still. Uh, you know, I, I recorded my friend Tanner's podcast and this podcast back to back, and he. Uh, told me almost the exact same thing and he wasn't making it up you're not making it up and certainly both of you are not making it up um and i just i we talked about this as well uh when i told um um a story about tanner facing racism uh to my cousin this morning uh lucy uh i felt the need and the subconscious need to qualify him after i told her the story you know tanner's from uh, he's british and french very tall well-dressed well-spoken um uh, can, he does cancer research, very intelligent. I felt the need to tell her that. And, that, and then she kind of mentioned, she was like, she's like, isn't it kind of sad that like, you feel the need to say that? And I said, yes. And I didn't even realize. And right there, um, that's just inherent bias. Uh, the story of you you getting um, uh, pulled over, I, I sorry, not getting pulled over. I love that story. I think it's so powerful because of the fact that you didn't get pulled over. But it's the thoughts that you had would never even cross my mind. Yeah. You know, I'd be maybe a little bit nervous about getting a ticket. Like, oh, my mom, you know, my mom's gonna be mad. But the thoughts of, you know, I, I'm gonna end up dying, that would never cross my mind. And it doesn't matter whether you got pulled over or not, or you ended up dying or not, or, you know, it was just a normal pullover, get your, you know, ticket and move on with your life. It doesn't matter what happened. It's the fact that your beliefs, your life experiences have led you to the point to believe that, to think that, that you had uh, anxiety about it, fight or yeah. flight. And so many of, of, so many of these black people who, who people are like, why do they resist? Why do they run? It's like, because they think they're gonna die. They have that fight or flight, uh, fight or flight instinct come to their, to their mind. And like anyone else who's been, everyone's felt that. Everyone felt anxiety. Everyone's felt the feeling, uh, do I run or do I fight? You don't feel it when you're with police because you're privileged to not have the life experiences to believe that there's a chance you're gonna die. Other people have. It's, it's, it's funny that um, it gets to that point, too, because when I was living in Kenya, I would tell more of my closer friends, I was like, um, 
I joined the police. Like I like I like the idea. Like if I didn't if I wasn't scared of dying as much as I am, <laughs> I'd definitely join the police and they're like, oh I know fuck twelve. I'm like, yeah, like fuck twelve, but like I joined the police because it always came back to the idea like this is all before I came to the States. Right. Um came back to the States as an older black man. Um and because I was always going off the idea of what the police were to me like what the idea of the fundamental idea of law enforcement is and it's like to do what you guys are doing requires like requires you to be a special kind of person and even some of the years even after that experience with the whole cop and like him driving past me I still kind of wanted to be or like in a part I didn't want to like it wasn't something I was going towards my life but I was like I would be like if someone had asked me to be a police officer I would be like fuck you and I'm like yeah why not um but and that's all because I'd always understood that they looked at me different without a doubt but in my head it was like if I can get in to the system and change it from the inside then maybe I can do some good from that side and it was never I never had to call upon myself to like look for that education to be like what is really going on constantly. And it's always because my parents were, my parents like, you know, killed themselves working so hard to make sure that we were living to a certain standard. So yeah. a lot of those things didn't really apply to me. I'm not saying that because my parents worked harder, I'm better than most black people. I'm just saying that I know a lot of people who are at my standing and didn't really, I don't want to say understand, but didn't, you know, know of all the problems that were going on. Um, we talked about this when you called me before. I talked to people who were like, um, uh, you know, why are they, why aren't they, like, we shouldn't let these, like, protesters, rioters out because, uh, because, you know, Corona, like, that was such a problem, like, two weeks ago. Like, why are, like, why isn't it a problem now? I'm like, so it wasn't a problem when y'all were protesting to get haircuts or when y'all were protesting to, like, go back to the gym? Mm-hmm. It wasn't a problem then? Like, no, it was a problem. I was like, listen, like, whether you're protesting for something that has been a problem since the establishment of America or a problem that's been going on for the past two months. Like, America is now the epicenter of this, like, virus. Like, no one should be outside. But the only difference is what we're protesting has been going on a lot longer than just one summer. So it's like, if you're going to be mad at me or if you're going to be mad at this cause, like, be right. Like, like just be, like, that's all I'm asking. Is like, if you're going to be mad, like, just be mad with facts. Yeah. Politics is just so tough. Uh, I try and stay away from it. I try and stay away from it because people are so um, embedded in their beliefs there that it's really hard to change them. But it's it's important, um, I think, to be able to question them at least. At least question them why you believe what you believe. And I think in our age, with all, again, all the information, everything you say and do is caught on video. And you can just see uh, politicians from both parties. They so easily going back and forth, whatever's convenient for that day. And um, you can just see it, and there's so many examples. And, and it's, it's an important thing to question. Like, like I'm believing all everything I hear from the, this group of people or this person or this person, um, but they just flip-flop so easily on clearly the same issue, an athlete being able to speak out. If your position is that athletes can't speak about politics, fine. America, have your own position. Make sure it's the same uh, position yeah, when it's, when sure it's one, side and the, yeah. Yeah, one side and the other side, one race, the other race. Um, I just think that's a good example of, of make sure you can question your beliefs and, and who you're listening to. I think it's I think it's important that you bring up especially the beliefs part um, because the systemic like at this point it's not it's not really a question of whether 
you believe that there's systemic racism in America, it's whether you are supporting it or you're not. Like, like police have quotas for arrests and jailhouses were given money on how many inmates they had. So like everyone was winning if there were more people in jail and all that. But the Black Panther movement um, planned to help make free dentists, uh, do free college education. They started the whole free breakfast thing that like the government does that everyone thinks is really great for public schools. Black Panther movement started that. Huh. Um, yeah, I didn't lot, know that. A lot of people don't know that they started giving out free breakfast to kids. Um, that was one of the first things they did, and a lot of what they were doing was just was solely about black empowerment and getting um, black people to the same standing as white white people. That's really what the most of their agenda was about. Um, the only the only reason that we only remember the violence and the guns is because. Um, when the FBI was formed, one of their main tasks wasn't to necessarily go out and kill the Black Panther, right. was, but was to discredit them. Right. So you turn around and history writes them off as these very violent, and at that time, um, black people were being associated with heroin, so drugs. So you have, these, you have history painting us as, history painting them as these aggressive, you know, drug-fueled black people who were just you know, trying to fight the man, but like that's nothing close to what they're doing. Yeah. They were solely like their main aim was to go out and empower black people. Like they wanted to just build all these um, infrastructures that we have nowadays, but solely for black people, run by black people, and funded by black people. That's it. Like that was their main. That was their main aim. But they, you know, they're going out in history as these super violent. You know, killers or whatever. Well, it's um, uh, the winners write history, yeah. as uh, someone someone recently said, and um, it's true. Like anything else in life, it's all about perspective and and, and what you focus on. And um, you don't need to agree with everything someone says, with everything someone believes. What you, what's important and how you connect with people and how, and how you have a happier life, in my opinion, is that you believe that they have a right. To have that opinion, and that those life ex- their life experiences have led them to a point uh, to believe what they believe, as we all have, all of our life experiences. But um, <laughs> but on the issue of race, it's it's there's only one side, and it's it's on the side of bringing an entire class of Americans, of Americans, up to the level of privilege that we all should have. I hope everyone out there wants to get to a place where everyone can feel oh shit I might get a ticket you know it's a hundred bucks down the drain and not oh shit I might die and it's important for us to debate and discuss and have different opinions um, but we I think as a country we just need to come to, and as a world we need to come together and empathize with each other and I think that's how we see um, the solution because I think there are people out there who just think that the People are just doing this for no reason. I really think that they're not. They don't think they're racist, and they just don't understand. And and uh, and they had no problem with, uh, like yeah. you said, it just just the the uh, people going out and, and protesting COVID and and uh, and saying, you know, you can't keep us in our in our houses this and that. And now those same people have flipped to say, why are these people outside? It's they're all going to die. Yeah. And uh, I, I just hope you people out there who may be one of those people, like you're not a bad person. You just like it may be good for your own mental health just take a step back and question why you thought one way on that that issue and this way on the, on the other issue and um, 
and uh, just just understand people's experiences. Even if you don't agree with what he said, with what Miguel said, understand he believes it, and he's not lying, and he feels this way, and have empathy for that. As another human being, uh, a valuable human being, he's he's a smart kid. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, I apologize. I didn't. Uh, I didn't qualify you like I qualified Tanner, but he actually went to. Uh, he went. I went to Chaminade High School, which is a very good school on uh, on Long Island. He went to the kind of uh, brother school, Kellenberg, a great, great high school, and and clearly a well-spoken, smart kid. Um, and and that shouldn't matter, even if he wasn't. <laughs> he still has a right to his opinions and uh, and his beliefs. And we just need to connect with each other and understand each other better. And I think that was a great, great discussion on beliefs and, and kind of where the feelings come from. If you want to talk, I know you touched on it earlier, um, but I know you're working with an organization trying to actually get some of these, you know, you, you have ideas for, for ways you want to see things improve in the future for uh, for you and for, for the people around you. And I, I think it's great that you have ideas. It's important. And so, if, you know, if you want to use this as a platform to share them, there might be, there people out there who agree with them and, uh, and want to be on your side with, with that. Uh, yeah, just a quick shout out to, uh, we got, there's uh, this Instagram page I started right now with my girlfriend. It's uh, CRP.2020, uh, civil rights platform. Uh, it's basically, we are aiming to get enough people behind us and following us so we can um, create the enough following to go to one of our senators and to lobby an actual bill on police reform or altogether getting rid of the NYPD. Um, to properly allocate those taxes and those um, the cash to like either train them better or to spread out the cash to social workers and to make actual long lasting change and just you know being mad I understand being mad because I'm mad every time I go out to protest but we need to do more than just be mad we need to make change for you know our friends for your younger cousin for your younger sibling and this is one way on top of this there's a bunch of other sites that you can read up on yourself but that's one way that I'm going about it uh, CRP.2020 give it a look again um, it's so important to care about the future of our society and our country and uh, the groups we're in a lot of beliefs from these groups uh, are just I don't subscribe they don't make any sense they just don't make any sense so you just feel free to believe a few things from the groups you're in and, and, and not ascribe to all of them and um, as long as the group isn't spreading hate or anything, I don't think there's anything wrong with being part of a group that might, you don't agree with everything. You know, if, you, if you're uh, conservative or Republican or liberal or, or, or Democrat, and there's, you, I just always feel, feel like, especially with politics, how you could believe everything one group thinks. It's just question, always been questionable to me. Like, it's kind of off topic, but just like this world is so confusing because we all have different life experiences to lead us to our beliefs. I highly doubt everyone in that group has the same life experiences to lead you to the same beliefs. It's just, why do you believe those every single thing? I'm not saying all of them are wrong. I'm just saying some of them, you might actually feel differently. You've just never questioned and never looked inside yourself. And I think it's it's really powerful to do that. And it calls to both sides, not just like, because I know a lot of people, um, when we say like, oh, they just believe whatever they're told, most people run to the conservative side. It's for liberals too. Absolutely. And it's for Democrats. And it's that... You have to, exactly what you're saying, you have to call upon yourself to, like what I was referencing in the very beginning, you have to call upon yourself every single day to do, you know, to wake up and do this and do that. And the next day, make yourself better. And if you just, it's easy just to say, oh, I'm a Democrat. So you fit in with whoever you're around and you don't ever question, like, who's running? What do they stand for? 
oh, they're going to you know, have more taxes to build roads. I don't care about roads. I walk. Mm-hmm. I need better transit. You know, like, and you're just taking the box for whoever you're taking for because they're a Democrat. Is just as bad as saying that I don't vote or I do vote or I whatever you choose to whether you take part in politics or not if you're not choosing to take steps or use your voice to actually advocate for something that matters especially to yourself if anything else because it's so easy to just be like I'm a Democrat I'm a Republican oh you're voting for this guy cool I'll just do it too or oh like this is what this party believes oh I believe it too like no I mean for all if we're politics, I would say, quote unquote, I think I'm a Democrat. I don't even really know what I really think I am. But I took a test, and there's a lot of Republican views that I agree with. I think there should be less taxes, because I work a lot. And I get really mad when I see, like, at the bottom of my check, like, oh, this is how much I would have made? That sucks, like, a lot. But at the same time, do I think there should be health care? I mean, I don't want to get into politics. No, listen, this whole time we've been talking about politics, I'm like, (laughs) in the back of my mind, I'm like, am I going to publish this or am I going to cut this out? (laughs) And if you're not gonna, if you're gonna not support our company uh, because uh, of things, you know, the guests I have on have their own beliefs and opinions. If you're like, oh, this company's, you know, uh, yeah. it's wanted to, NYC Nature wants to defund the police. It's like, it's like, well, then you weren't gonna support the company anyway. So uh, we'll see if I publish it or not. But uh, I'll just say it's like, and I think that's how we got to the point of like today in politics. When I look and and again, I I'm, I'm dumb. I don't know much about anything, and. Uh, but I look at these politicians, and it just seems like they care a lot more about getting people angry and just and and getting attention. Like <laughs> I have one thing just to add on that that I thought was um, I thought it was so funny that when it happened, I had to call my dad, and we laughed about it. Um, when I was listening to that hearing, and this hearing that was brought upon about the inadequacy of the American like health stockpile, yeah. one of the senators called a pause to the entire hearing because he's like, "Hey, usually they're not allowed their lawyer here." Are we just gonna like break this one rule? Like, is this something we're gonna do? And she has a mic. I'm sorry, it wasn't even about whether she should have lawyer here. It's whether she should have a mic because mm. usually they don't. Lawyers aren't allowed mics. Right. And they're like, if we're gonna give this one a mic, are we gonna break the rules for this one hearing? Or is like, is this gonna be the norm? And like the speaker's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I was like sitting there, I was like, they argued about that for five minutes. She was, she wasn't even arguing. She's like, I don't understand the relevance of this. Like whether she has a mic or not. We're talking about the like the inadequacy of our government. Right. Why does it matter if she has a micro like that's something they actually argue on a televised hearing for I think five to ten minutes. And I was like, this is this is insane. This is unbelievable. These are the people who make the decisions about how I live my life in this country. Right. Like on the day to day basis. I thought it was I thought it was hilarious. It is, it's just they want they want something uh, you know, to argue about and and, and um it was just for that perfect bite, that yeah, perfect little sentence that he says the wrong thing, and like I can use this to get all my constituents all riled up. Riled up, and yeah. just, they're trying to get. And I just again, I don't like pointing, painting people with a broad brush, but um, at least the people, the politicians they put on TV, and you see get you know retweeted the most, and the ones you you know if you watch the, the cable news, um, you'll see. It just seems like they're the ones who do the best job of getting people angry, getting their side angry. And there's really two ways you can connect people uh, in, in life. And, and one of them is fear. And the other one is is love and friendship. And um, you can see leaders throughout history who connected people with fear. Um, politi- some of the politicians we have now, um, I'm not making a comparison here, just about how they used fear, but Hitler did it. Um, greatly, he, he united an entire nation mm-hmm. behind fear that this other group of people was... 
problem. The problem. And um, then there's other leaders who united people with, with friendship and love, people like Gandhi, Jesus, MLK. Um, and and it's just ask yourself, who would you rather be more like? And and I just, it, fright, it doesn't frighten me, but it, it makes me anxious that a lot of our leaders seem to go more on the side of, of using fear to, to unite their bases. It, it's funny, because you don't even have to go as far as our leaders. You, you can go as close as, like, ourselves in our everyday. Like, when I, whenever I have to um, take the train, uh, what people talk about on the train is, God, the, like, the train's late again. And, like, you can have a whole conversation with any other yeah. New Yorker about the train being late or how much, like, the transit system sucks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if it can work on such a small scale, imagine if there's one dude who came up and had a whole idea about how to fix the transition. Like, we'd all rally to that guy. Right. It doesn't even have to go as big as, you know, our world, our government leaders or anything. It's just on our everyday. Like, we, if you look to ourselves, like, you connect through people. You All the random instances happen through either people being scared of something or, or angry or afraid of something, like you're saying, or people seeing something beautiful and everyone being like, oh, isn't that great? Like, those are the two things that draw random people together. And if you have one singular person polarized at the center of those things, you're gonna get a bunch of people together. It's just basic human nature, it's just how we are. Yeah. We got together out of, out of groups because we knew we could survive together longer. We knew that like human connection is needed to continue our race. Like, at our basic core, like, those are the things that bring us together. If you get one person who can embody one of those two things and you put them at the center, they're gonna bring people together. <laughs> it's like. And it's horrible that more people, exactly what you're saying, it's horrible that more people are leaning towards fear because that's just, it'll work, but it, it's just the worst way to do it. it at what cost? And uh, exactly. yeah, fear, fear or friendship? Uh, I like that. I'm going to put that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, just and just to sum up, what, what a great conversation. I just want to say, um, you know, Miguel and I met about 10 minutes before we started recording this. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and we use friendship to connect right now. You know, I'm sure Miguel would not agree with every single one of my beliefs, and I'm sure I don't believe with every one of his beliefs, but it didn't matter. All, the only thing we needed to connect with each other was, was the fact that we both respect each other. You see, we're different people. Uh, he looks like he can bench press 300 pounds. I can't bench press anything. Uh, he's black, I'm white. You know, we're, we're, we're different on so many levels, but we're the same in the fact that we're human beings. And uh, it's so easy to connect with people when you use friendship instead of fear. Um, and it's, it's a much more enjoyable experience. Uh, so I really enjoyed this chat and getting to know Miguel a little bit more. Hope Same hope you come here. back Same and here. yeah, hope you come back and chat more. You know, a lot of a lot of things we talked about uh, quickly off camera beforehand. Just uh, other topics, um, you know, NYC Nature Hope will be talking about. Um, again, really really appreciate your time. Really grateful for it, and uh, I hope we get to speak with you again. You'd say, thank you for having me. Absolutely, really thank you.